As the state of Texas deals with a polygamist sect, we'll interview a former wife of a polygamist. She still has relatives in the Warren Jeffs cult. We'll get her story. Also, we'll talk with a seasoned Christian journalist who is sick of partisanship in the church and we'll ask her, should you vote for a candidate who can't win? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian Worldview for Christ and Culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Mother, Mother, we want to be with you. We want to go with you. Mother, don't let him take us. All right, that's a fundamentalist Mormon woman. She was identified as Ruth. She told reporters her children were taken away. Everyone is wanting to know what in the world is going on uh, down there near San Angelo. And uh, these children are being taken away from their mothers. But uh, should we be concerned about what goes on in this FLDS sect? We're going to talk to a woman in just a moment who is a foreman, former Mormon fundamentalist. She had five sisters who were married into the Jeffs, the Warren Jeffs, Colorado City Group. This woman will have firsthand knowledge. What's the problem? And really, what are the solutions We'll do that in just a few minutes. But uh, Barack Obama's pastor has come out of hiding. That's the Reverend Jeremiah Wright. He was interviewed by Bill Moyers. This is going to be broadcast tonight. And uh, here he is responding to Barack Obama's um, disclaimer, really, about him as a preacher, as a pastor. It went down very simply. He's a politician. I'm a pastor. We speak to two different audiences. And he says what he has to say as a politician. I say what I have to say as a pastor. Those are two different worlds. I do what I do. He does what politicians do. So that what happened in Philadelphia, where he had to respond to the sound bites, he responded as a politician. All right, so the pastor's saying he responded as a politician. And we're going to get later in the program Obama's response mm-hmm. to that. All right, listen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to this interview, uh, this answer on Colorado Public Radio, Marsha Ford, author of We the People, talking about what's wrong with partisan politics in church. The problem with partisanship in the church and in sermons is that a sermon is not a dialogue. It's a one-way conversation, and you cannot have any kind of discussion about it. I think it would be great to have political discussion in church, but not in worship services. In meetings where we talk, we can talk openly. 
Marsha Ford is a journalist, and she's a Christian and a political independent. She's going to join us later in the program to talk about her new book, We the Purple, which really decries political partisanship in the church. And we will answer the question, or at least ask it, is the church too political? All right. We've been uh, reading in the papers, seeing on the TV about the fundamentalist Latter-day Saint group down here in Texas, and we want to know what's really going on down there, what's been going on in that compound. With us to talk about it, a former Mormon fundamentalist, Irene Spencer. Uh, Welcome back to the program, Irene. Uh, Tell us um, your history as a fundamentalist Mormon. Well, I am five generations uh, of polygamy, and uh, my grandmother was a second wife. My mother was a second wife. So, of course, I became a second wife, and I followed in my mother's footsteps. She married her sister's husband, wow. and I also married my sister's husband. The reason being is that uh, they figured the man's going to go to a world and become a god and own his own world, and his wives will be goddesses, and they will go to heaven with him. Therefore, sisters and cousins and best friends married the same man so that they can be with him and they can be together for eternity. Irene, uh, I see here that you had five sisters into this uh, Jeff's Colorado City group. Let's talk about the Jeffs. I saw on the video on Larry King, every room that they toured with that woman had a picture of Warren Jeffs on the wall. Would you talk about the Jeffs family, the Jeffs version of fundamentalist Mormonism? Well, they didn't just have one picture on the wall. If you look, there was one on every wall. Every wall in every room. So every room, wherever you go, if you there were four in one bedroom. I counted them, and if it was whichever direction they're looking on. But they consider him to be in the stead of Christ and stand here. At, he's going to take them into heaven and going to save them. But I knew his father, Rulon, and uh, he... Uh, was a dictator, just like this guy was. But what they do is they marry young girls off when they're 14 on up, some younger, and uh, they have no say-so about it. There's no courting. Uh, The prophet says that he has a revelation from God who these girls are to marry, and he places them with whoever he feels that he should, and they go along with it because they believe he's a prophet. But I noticed that uh, the prophet took all the beautiful, the cream of the crop, and I say he gave the lame and blind and halt and the obese to the, the <laughs> other people that worked so good and faithfully for him, you know. Irene, did you live in one of these type of compounds? No, I actually lived in Salt Lake City, and uh, people just, we stayed together uh, in homes and lived around other polygamists. One neighbor had seven wives, another five. And so did you live in the four. same house with the other wives? Uh, yes, we lived in the same house at times. Yeah, well, when I was born, my dad had four wives in the house at the same time, and I was the 13th of his 31 children. And you and all then, lived in one house? Yes. And when I was 16, I married and became the second of 10 wives, and my husband had 58 children. He had 29 girls and 29 boys. How did you feel about getting married at 16? Well, I was kind of getting to be an old maid because, uh, you know, some of my friends, you know, 13, 14, 15 were married. And uh, I wrestled with the idea because as much as I was told I would go to hell if I didn't, I wanted another kind of life. And anyway, I got conned into it, everybody telling me that I couldn't give up, say, look, all these generations, what they've sacrificed for you for. 
And one thing that hurt, uh, hurt me about the uh, people in Texas right now is that I went through a raid when I was seven years old. They raided Salt Lake City, and 19 men were arrested. And my father spent over two years in prison for polygamy, and I still have trauma. I still remember the most horrifying uh, feeling, and I know that these little children in Texas are feeling the same way because we were taught that the outside world is wicked, they're the devil, they're out to destroy us, and that we must not have anything to do with them. And I know that these kids must be terrified. Are they so? Are you? Were you separated from their mother like they are being separated? No, but we we had fears of it, and they thought that they might adopt us out and put us into homes and one thing and another. And uh, then in 1953, I had just been married for three weeks, and I was a plural wife, of course. And uh, we went to Colorado City to visit my sisters that all lived there. We were going to spend the weekend. But when we got to Hurricane at my Aunt Rhea's house, uh, we had a lawyer that was there, and he told us that they had been tipped off that they were going to have a raid that night in Colorado City, so we didn't go out there. But my sisters were caught up in it. They actually came out in Life magazine and one thing, another, uh, pictures of them. I had a sister-in-law that was her, all her children carted off in buses. In fact, when I saw these guys getting on buses, it brought back all those memories. I said, it was just like deja vu again, these kids being loaded into buses to be uh, taken somewhere else. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Irene Spencer. She's a former Mormon fundamentalist. We're going to talk about that word former later on in the program. But, Irene, I do want to ask you a little bit more about these children and these mothers. In fact, let's listen to some sound here. We've got one of the mothers identified as Velvet. Velvet is her name. She says she's sad her children were taken. They had CPS workers there to take every single one of the children out of our arms. The children were crying and reaching for their mothers. Well, that sounds really sad. Now, here's in response... Child Protective Services worker Daryl Azar. These young ladies, or young girls really, are becoming spiritually married to middle-aged men and having their children. There's no way that that would be legal in Texas. Uh, It is child abuse, and we have to step in to protect them. Irene, I think one of the questions a lot of people have, they, they don't like what was going on in the compound, at least they don't think they do, they don't really understand it, but uh, right now there's a little bit of a sympathy factor with these children and these mothers. Could you tell us how we should think through that dilemma, of these children being separated from these mothers? Well, you know, for the last 150 years when they have arrested polygamists, Nothing has ever worked because they multiply faster than they could squash the thing out. And uh, Governor uh, Governor Pyle back in 1953 just spent thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money and nothing was ever done about it. So I really don't know what should be done. But in my view, I feel that you shouldn't take these children from their parents. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing they have. Mm -hmm. And these women don't have a husband of their own. They have, you know, their rights are being violated. Uh, The only thing they have are their children. And I think what they need is to have professional counseling, the men, women, and children, and let them know that there's another way of life. What people don't realize is that these people are there by fear. And when I say that, their fear of going to hell. I was taught that my own husband was my savior and that he was going to take my hand and pull me through the veil and resurrect me into the next life. And if you didn't obey and do everything he said, you weren't even going to be, uh, be given an exaltation. And that's why I myself stood up in four 
of my husband's weddings, and I took the bride's hand on those four occasions, and I gave her to my wow. husband in marriage wow. that I might work my way into heaven. This well, we know why. there's another way to get to heaven, and when we come back after the break in a few minutes, I want you to talk about that. But let me ask you a follow-up question, Irene, because uh, I'm wondering... I accept what you've had to say, but I'm wondering if these people in Child Protective Services are thinking, look, if we don't break this cycle, these mothers will give away their young daughters and so on and so forth if they stay in these families. I have another question for you. You write about the lost boys. We've been talking about the girls. What happens to the so-called lost boys in these families? Well, not only in the FLDS group, but in all splinter groups, all polygamous splinter groups. The young boys go out when they're like 14 and 15 years old. They work in construction, and they supply the money so that their fathers can marry younger and more wives. And they lose their childhoods. And uh, They don't I get know. wives, do they? Pardon? They don't get the girls. No, after they work for two years and faithfully give their money over to the cause, and usually it is to the prophet to help support his numerous wives, then they give him one of these leftover girls that the prophet hasn't married for his just reward. But the thing of it is is that uh, I have nephews that were actually, one of them was kicked out of the compound because he, he wouldn't, his hair was too long and he wouldn't cut it. And they kicked him out when he was like 14 years old. And the parents cannot go after him. The parents cannot call him, cannot have anything to do with him. They become dead to that family. And these young kids go out, they get on drugs, they start drinking, they're in despair, they're lost. They figure they've gone to hell, and it's the only thing they know because they, too, have been brainwashed. But there's a guy in Salt Lake named Dan Fisher that is trying to help these boys get into homes and become educated. And I just have to commend him for doing this work. All right, Irene, uh, we're coming up on the break. Now, you're coming back after the break because you are a former Mormon fundamentalist. We heard that you were trying to work your way, more or less, to heaven to earn it. And we want to know what caused the change, who caused the change. I'm excited to hear the rest of the story. Uh, Also, we've got a lot of listeners down in San Angelo, KCRN. We want to open up the lines for you. The number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. If you're in the San Angelo region, you have some first-hand knowledge of the Warren Jeffs group, the compound, the setting, the fallout, call us. You have a question for Irene Spencer, call us. And uh, another question really is this FLDS, is it really Mormon? Let's talk about that. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. There were tears by the children, by the women, and by some of our caseworkers as well. It's, um, it's not easy to do, and no one was untouched. However, it was in the best interest of the children. All right, that's Daryl Azar. He's Child Protective Services spokesman. He's talking about uh, these government workers taking the children away from the mothers uh, at the FLDS uh, center. And a lot of people really wonder, was that the right decision? We're talking about that right now. Let me just remind you, coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about the church being too political and too partisan. You don't want to miss that. That's coming up in the next segment. All right. With us is Irene Spencer, and she was married for 28 years to Verlin LeBaron, who later became president of the Church of the Firstborn, which is another cult group in the Mormon, uh, I guess, a fundamentalist Mormon movement. She bore 13 of his 58 children, and she shared him with nine other women. Um, It's just hard for me to fathom this. And uh, she also uh, now is married to one man monogamously. She's been married for 19 years. So Irene, tell us how you came out of this cult and what happened to you spiritually. Well, I came out of the cult, and that's why I wrote the book. It's called Shattered Dreams, because I want people to know the abuses that have gone on And we have lived with them for generation after generation. But the girls are married off. They have no say-so who they marry. They are told to have a baby every year. I know the average polygamous woman has 12 children. I know women that have 16, 18, 20, 21, and I know a woman that had 22 children. Now, if this isn't abuse, I don't know what is. And I myself didn't even get a driver's license until I was 40 years old. Uh, most of these people are not educated, they can't watch TV, they can't read any books, they have no outside uh, education, and that's how they control them, but it's done through fear. But I also at this time want to say that the Mormon Church in 1890 gave up polygamy right. so that they could become a state, and uh, they uh, get upset when people call them Mormon, uh, you know, Mormon fundamentalists. But by the same way, every Christian church says that they are Christians because they believe in the Bible. And I notice that the Mormon church says that they are Christian. But to me, only if you follow the Bible and the Bible alone are you a Christian. So by the same token, I think that all these splinter groups that believe that Joseph Smith's a prophet and they believe in the Book of Mormon have a right to say that they are Mormon. Mm-hmm. Okay. But how did you, I mean, you're obviously called out somehow but you must have gotten some kind of a view of what it was be, uh, what it was like in the outside world in order to make your way out of there. Well, I had left for three years because I had just come to my rope's end. I actually had nine nieces and nephews and one first cousin that had com- committed suicide, and I was uh, in such despair and de- depression. And I left for three years. My sister that was out of polygamy helped me. And then later, my son became a born-again Christian in Alaska. And I felt it was my duty, because I'd gone back to Mexico by then, uh, I went, felt it my duty to go up and put him right. He actually hmm. phoned me up and told me that Christ was God. And I thought, how could he be so crazy? We know that Adam is our God, you know. And uh, so I got on a plane and went up there with my Book of Mormon to go up <laughs> against him and, and put him in his place. But I want you guys to know that nobody can come up against Jesus Christ. I went into a church, and they were singing a song as a deer panted for the water. 
I started weeping for my soul, and I cried out and said, God, whoever you are, I wanted to have what those people had. They looked like they were wooing somebody. They were worshiping. I longed for it. And in that moment, God actually spoke to me and said, Irene, where have you been that you've never worshipped or glorified me? And that day I gave my life to Christ. And and I had three freight trains of pain, heartache, sorrow lifted from my shoulders. And at the same time, God removed all nine wives at the same time. Wow. Our guest is Irene Spencer, former, former Mormon fundamentalist. We're talking really about the FLDS uh, debacle in Texas, but uh, going from the news to the good news, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. How did your life change, Irene? Uh, that was sort of the beginning, but how did your life change after that, the way you thought about God, heaven, prayer, uh, relationships? The very first thing that I did is that I felt so ashamed to think that I could have thought that I could be a God and that he's just a couple of notches higher than I am and that I could work my way and, and be like he is. It does away with his awesomeness. And, uh, but, you know, the greatest thing is knowing that God is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And the, the, he said, by your fruit you shall know, know him. And the fruit was the, this uh, peace that I can't even explain to you that I felt that enveloped me. And, you know, I tell people I had more religion than most people accumulate in a lifetime. But it's not about religion. Mm. It's about a relationship with our Lord and Savior. And I just praise him every day because he did change me. I am born again, and he did it in an instant. took me from uh, all this despair and everything. And I am a child of God, and I just thank him every day that I've seen the light. What happens when people leave, Irene? Do, uh, does the church or the husband normally try to get the person back? Oh, everybody does it. I left for three years, and my husband begged and tried and pled and cried and did everything. And then I have your, my kids had seven of them that every day would weep and cry because they feel like fish out of water going to schools. And so you took them out? People, did you, you pull know? your kids out of the cult? Well, you know, at one time I had six of my kids still entangled in polygamy, but I only have three. And uh, But I want you to know that I went to church not too long ago, and I had 27 of my grandchildren in there that had become Christians, and I just, it brought great. me tears. Mm. And God is doing mm. a great, great work. Well, you know, in the midst of this, one of the things that's happening, uh, we heard from the pastor of Glen Meadows Baptist Church down in San Angelo, Mac Roller, last week. His church is feeding these women, feeding these children, ministering in the situation. I saw on television where they actually a group of them together singing some songs. So you never know what God is doing behind the scenes to show these people another way, another way of life like you saw in Alaska. Our guest, Irene Spencer, she's written the book Shattered Dreams about her life as a former Mormon fundamentalist. Irene, uh, I want to thank you for being here with us today. And um, how could we be praying uh, for this situation? As you look at it all, unfolding in the media, playing out in the media, how would you say we could pray for these people? I think the best thing to do is pray that God will have everybody treat them kindly and with respect and with love so that they may win them over because they have been taught that all these people are wicked. And just, I've, I've had people that have come out of this that said that someone just looked at them and said, I love you, I care for you, and it totally melted their hearts. And I know that we could pray that God will open up their eyes and help them because he is sufficient, his grace is. And if you're really hunting for him and want to do right, you will find him. 
Irene Spencer, she's written the book Shattered Dreams. If you want to understand this FLDS movement, sect, cult, uh, get that book, Shattered Dreams. Irene, we'll have you back another time. Thank you. Thank you so very much. All right. Let's have that prayer right now, Penn. I think that would be important. And I want to ask our listeners to join us, actually. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name because we know that's the only way to come. And we thank you for this testimony of your salvation with Irene Spencer. And, Lord, we're praying that you would be working in the midst of uh, this group. Um, they're traumatized because of this raid. And... Um, Lord, we're just praying that this would be a moment for them to see the light, to see the way, to see Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the only way of salvation. Help the churches like Glen Meadows and others to reach out, to minister, to show the love of Christ. We pray that many would come to faith in Him. We pray it again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, all right. What an incredible testimony and story. And we move from that uh, over to something else that's been in the news, the religion news, and the politics news. And um, actually, Larry, I want you to do another thing, if you would. Uh, let's act, Well, let's go to, uh, to um, our next guest. Let's, let's stay with that, because uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the, the proper role of faith and politics, church and state. And uh, our next guest is Marcia Ford, and she's written a book called we the purple. Let's not have the red state and the blue state. Mix it. Let's have the purple. And she says, look, there's a wave, a political wave moving in America of people who are sick of the Democrats, sick of the Republicans, sick of the religious right, the atheistic left. And they uh, they just want to talk about the issues. They want dialogue and not debate. And she's uh, she's a little concerned about politics in the pulpit. Now, she was interviewed on NPR, and uh, this is what she had to say. If my faith didn't inform my politics, I don't really think that either one would be worth much. However, when it comes to talking about specific partisan issues, then we get into trouble. Pinna, do you, uh, do you think um, we can, she can have it both ways? Well, I think that that's important to talk about the issues, especially the ones that relate to our faith, that are moral issues that are addressed in the Bible. And I disagree with the idea that you shouldn't do that from the pulpit or the pastor shouldn't do it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to her about this to find out exactly what she means, because when she says issues, does she mean abortion? Does she mean homosexuality? We're going to find she, out. Yeah. We're so gonna we'll find, find out. out. So coming up next, Marsha Ford. She's written the book, We the People. And uh, we're actually going to talk about, you know, Jeremiah Wright and maybe Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton on the left or uh, Tony Campolo or um, Ron Sider. Uh, we've been looking at all of this uh, in the campaign season. Uh, on, on the right, you've got uh, people like um, Pat Robertson. You had Jerry Falwell. You had D. James Kennedy. And so we're going to try to sort through this. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pinnadexter. Broadcasting live here from Criswell College. Uh, also, we may have an update later on in the program. Uh, Barack Obama has responded to his pastor, Jeremiah Wright, saying that, look, um, Obama was just doing the political thing um, when he distanced himself from uh, my extremist comments. Uh, we're going to listen to what Barack Obama had to say in response to that.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. We bombed Hiroshima, we bombed Nagasaki, and we nuked far more than the thousands in New York and the Pentagon, and we never batted an eye. We have supported state... All right, that's enough of that. That's Jeremiah Wright, and he's, by the way, in Dallas right now, Barack Obama's former pastor. Are you comfortable with that kind of pulpit rhetoric on the left? What about Pat Robertson, though, on the right? He told me some things about the election, but I'm not going to say because some old man on 60 Minutes will make fun of me, so I'm not going to tell you who the, <laughs> who the winner is going to be. All right, you got the religious right, you got the religious left. A lot of people talking about red states and blue states. They're really uncomfortable with this kind of division in American religion or politics. Let's talk about it. Well, our next guest uh, is Marsha Ford, and her new book is called We the Purple, Faith, Politics, and the Independent Voter. And uh, Marsha Ford is a seasoned journalist, an editor, and an author. She has been an editor of several magazines, including Christian Retailing, uh, and also uh, Charisma Magazine and Ministries Today. She's edited nearly 100 books. Marsha, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Marsha, uh, what is sort of the theme here? What's the problem? I know you're an independent, uh, and you're worried about churches being too partisan and people not fitting into those churches? Yeah, that's part of the, the problem. The other part is that I think that there's too much partisanship and politics in general during worship services, and I try to make that clear that I'm talking about the times when we go to church to worship God, and instead we get a political sermon or a very partisan sermon in which the, the pastor goes right up to the line, right up to that IRS line, doesn't say Republican or Democrat, but you know what the code words are, and you end up with a political sermon rather than a worshipful sermon. Can you give me an example on uh, the right, the Republican side of this? Sure. In 2004, I was in a church that was clearly Republican, and <clears throat> the pastor would constantly be talking about uh, issues like abortion and gay marriage. And the problem is that when he talked about those issues, it was from such a clear Republican standpoint that there was no question that he was telling the congregation to vote a straight Republican ticket. Okay, well, let me just ask you, though, because those issues are, there's a biblical view of those issues, and it's the Republican view. I mean, it's basically the Republican platform. So, For know. the most part. The problem comes when the pastors talk about those issues to the exclusion of other issues that are very important from a biblical worldview as well, and when the pastors are talking about those issues using the buzzwords that, say, in that case, would have been used by President Bush. When you, you knew he was, the pastor was basically taking something that Bush or another pro-right-to-life um, uh, pastor or leader would have said, and using those exact words. Now, that's a way for this pastor to communicate to the, to the, to the congregation without mentioning the GOP, that they should vote a straight Republican ticket. And another problem I have with it is that sermons are one-sided and there's no opportunity for dialogue. Mm. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Marsha Ford. She's written the book, We the Purple. Uh, Marshall, I want to talk about the larger scope of your book in a minute, but I want to follow up just a, just a moment here to talk about, uh, do you think on the left, on the religious left, 
uh, particularly maybe in the black church. We've been a good bit of this Democrat campaigning through the years. Do you think they're guilty as well as you see it? Absolutely. There's no question. Anytime you bring partisanship in the church, I don't care which party you're advocating, it, it, it obscures the message of the gospel, it, it obscures our worship of God, and that's why we're there on Sundays. Now, I hear you, Marcia, uh, and this is really interesting, because in one sense, you're speaking, it sounds like, from religious or Christian conviction about the worship of God. We want to maintain the purity of worship. Heard that a couple of times. But we've also talked about the IRS line, which is a separate motivation. Now, I have a question for you, because this IRS line came out of an LBJ political fear of uh, the churches mobilizing in a certain way at a certain time. Do you think the IRS line, number one, is uh, constitutional? I guess that's the question I have first. Do you think it's constitutional? Do you think it's right? Not as a Christian now, or in terms of corruption of worship. Do you think it's constitutionally a sound Line. Well, that's a very good question, and one I have to say I really haven't studied. I would say that I think that there is good reason for it. I think that, that there can be abuse of power on the part of the churches, and I think that that's a very good uh, uh, measuring stick for the IRS to, to have some kind of um, uh, say in what the churches can and can't do. But in terms of a constitutional issue, I would really have to study that mm-hmm. further. You know, I was a pastor in Colorado for about 10 years, Marcia, and uh, I had a conviction in January that I should always speak on the sanctity of innocent human life. And so I did. I preached pro-life sermons and uh, anti-abortion <laughs> sermons mm-hmm. probably probably for 10 years. And, you know, so I, I know that there are a lot of pastors out there that avoid those issues. There are others that emphasize them all the time, and there are others who feel like, you know, on special occasions they need to do it. And so we probably have a little bit diff- different view about that. But let's back up, because of the broad theme of your book really is more of a bipartisanship in terms of discussing issues. You have a concern that we are divided into red state and blue state America in a broader sense. Could you talk about that some? Well, I think that in some some, uh, cases that's a very artificial distinction. I think that most of us are probably more purple than we realize. And I think that that divide, that polarization, is used by the two parties to try to separate us rather than unite us. I think that on some issues, many people are more red than blue, and others are more blue than red, and, you know, but they aren't all red or all blue. And my purpose in writing the book was to let those people out there who are purple voters, who are that mix of red and blue, know that they're not alone. Because often in churches, you can, I don't care whether it's a, a left-leaning church or a right-leaning church, you can feel like a misfit if you don't tow the party line. Marsha, right now there are probably a lot of people that aren't happy with any of the presidential candidates. Should they vote for another candidate that, you know, may run or write them in, even if that candidate has no chance of winning? What's your opinion? Well, I wouldn't have any problem doing that. I'm not going to tell somebody else what they should or shouldn't do. But I have no problem voting for a candidate who has no chance of winning if that candidate reflects my personal values, if my gut feeling tells me that's the best person for the job. I believe that I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not just in this for one election. And if we can get another candidate, like, say, and I don't mean him specifically, but say a Ross Perot, who could get 19% of the vote, and we continue to build on that, and we continue to have this momentum toward a third... But it's never worked before. Right. But that doesn't mean it can't work in the future. Let me ask you a question, Marcia, because I see a sort of a distortion 
of uh, what party is the most open in America, I see again and again on the Democrat side uh, pro-abortion, pro-choice candidates, um, you know, promoted at the national level um, and speaking on the platform. I see on the Republican side pro-life and so-called yes. pro-choice or pro-abortion. I know recently there are a few so-called pro-life Democrat congressmen elected, but you don't see this at the national level. You don't see them uh, profiled. Do you Do you really believe that the Democrat Party is more open oh. to both ideas, or do you think the Republican Party is, in fact, more open to both ideas? I absolutely don't think that the Democratic Party is open to both ideas. I think that uh, just uh, reading a book like David Quo's Finding Faith, uh, you know, he was very clear that he wanted to work for a Democratic uh, Congress uh, member and could not because he was pro-life. Wow. They completely ignored him when he, when he voiced that view. So absolutely, the Democratic Party is not, is not as open mm. to uh, both sides of the issue. Marcia, I think to me the greatest struggle for trying to, you know, not mix uh, faith and politics or to be bipartisan, I go back to the declaration, to the, the, the birth certificate for America, self-evident truth, we are endowed by the Creator with a right to life. If you really believe that human beings are created in the image of God, and, you know, Lincoln picks up on this in Gettysburg, Martin Luther King picks up in the I Have a Dream speech. They go back to that declaration statement. It is a religious notion that we are created by God with a, with a right to life in his image. And uh, doesn't it seem like it's most natural for preachers to talk about this in the pulpit and to say, let's, like Martin Luther King did, you know, to, to say, let's mobilize to guarantee this right to life. Don't you, don't you see that a preacher just can't resist? Yeah. There's a fire in the bones to do that. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Uh, I have no problem with a preacher speaking out apart from a worship service, apart from Martin Luther King went around the country, held rallies, and, and, and that sort of thing. But what about in the worship service? Pardon me? What about in, well, the, in worship the worship service? service? I think that there is a place where you can talk about life issues without making it so partisan. Mm. Now, as you mentioned, there are Democrats for life. There are pro-life Democrats. They're few and far between. We know that because we know that the the powers that be simply don't Mm. support those candidates. But to be so partisan, to make it so clear that, that, that this is a GOP church really does um, I have never in my whole life been in a church that would you could say was a GOP church. As a matter of fact, most of the time I'm frustrated that pastors don't say enough about the issues that are up for grabs in the elections. And that is, that's an important point, too. I think that these things can be discussed, can be discussed outside the worship service. And the, the operative word there is discussed. Let's you haven't been in a megachurch. You don't get to talk to the pastor. Marcia, oh, I no, want to I'm thank you. i about in a small group setting, but go ahead. For this discussion, I've enjoyed this discussion. (laughs) I want to thank you you for that. Marsha Ford, she's written the book, We the Purple. It's a very interesting book. Marsha, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. All right. When we come back, let's listen to, um, actually, um, you've got now a little tit for tat between Barack Obama and his former pastor. And uh, the former pastor saying, Obama's just uh, disassociating himself politically from me. Obama's saying, no, I really do disagree with you. Also, are we about to go to war with Iran? Uh, War drums beating. 
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. It went down very simply. He's a politician. I'm a pastor. We speak to two different audiences. And he says what he has to say as a politician. I say what I have to say as a pastor. Those are two different worlds. I do what I do. He does what politicians do. So that what happened in Philadelphia, where he had to respond to the sound bites, he responded as a politician. That's Reverend Jeremiah Ride, and he is preaching in Dallas this weekend. Of course, he is Barack Obama's former pastor, and he sat down with this interview with Bill Moyers of PBS. It airs tonight on Bill Moyers' journal, and uh, this part of it was played on Hannity and Combs last night. Uh, Moyers asked, uh, was asked how he reacted to Barack Obama's comments in Philadelphia, and uh, he was giving Obama really a pass on this. Now, Barack Obama then responding, he was asked at a news conference in Indianapolis for his reaction to uh, this comment uh, about the race speech in Pennsylvania. Here's Barack Obama. I understand that he might not uh, agree with me on my assessment of his comments. That's to be expected. Well, they're both uh, trying to be polite, I think, about one another. Barack Obama saying, though, that he doesn't share his pastor's views. He is uh, obviously free to express his opinions on these issues. Uh, you know, I've expressed mine very clearly. Uh, I think that uh, what he said uh, in several instances were objectionable. You know, uh, Dr. Johnson, the journalists are really not letting Barack Obama get away from Jeremiah Wright's comments, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and a lot of folks really upset right now with John McCain because um, he's attacked the Republican Party in North Carolina for for running uh, this story and uh, a campaign ad with uh, Mm -hmm. the Wright uh, sermon. Uh, It seems like he would be criticizing Jeremiah Wright instead of criticizing the, the Republicans. Well, folks, we've been keeping you up to date on Iran, the growing threat of Iran. An incident today in the Persian Gulf. Here's a report from Sagar Magani. The Navy says the ship Western Venture was in international waters in the central Gulf when two small boats approached. A Fifth Fleet spokeswoman says the Western Venture fired flares and warning shots at the boats, which then left the area. The spokeswoman says the Iranian Coast Guard radioed the ship a few minutes later to determine its identity. Oil prices jumped after news reports that the two small boats were Iranian. Sagar Magani at the Pentagon. Okay, and so today at the Pentagon, the Joint Chiefs Chairman, Admiral Mike McCullen, in a Pentagon briefing, he says Iran continues to ratchet up its activities in Iraq as well. I believe recent events 
especially the Basra operation, revealed just how much and just how far Iran is reaching into Iraq to foment instability. And uh, then he went on to say, look, um, we're not stretched too thin. We're ready to go. We're ready to take action if we need to. I have uh, reserve capability uh, in particularly our Navy and our Air Force, uh, not just there, but available globally. Well, it's good to hear that uh, we're ready if need be. But, you know, the president talked about an axis of evil long ago. That particular speech, he got standing ovation after standing ovation. He said, we will not tire, we will not falter, we will not fail. We play it at the beginning of every program. Well, that's exactly what a lot of the liberal Democrats have done. They have tired, they have faltered, they have failed, they've given up. And uh, this show is about the Christian worldview. We're not trying to be partisan here, but one of the fundamentals, Penn, of the Christian worldview is there is such a thing as sin, as evil, a reality, good versus evil, right versus wrong. And these people, these terrorists who mean to wipe Israel off the face of the map, they mean to um, agitate unrest in Iraq right now. They are, they are essentially sending over weapons and paramilitary folks to kill our soldiers, to kill women and children. They strap bombs to retarded people and women and children and send them into crowds. I mean, this is evil. It's evil. And for them to say, imagine a world without uh, uh, Israel, imagine a world without the United States, these people mean to get us and to get Israel. And uh, it's very important that um, we support, I think, our soldiers, our commander-in-chief. We should be standing up for the good guys, not the bad guys. And this is the problem with Jimmy Carter. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. another breaking story today. Jimmy Carter was called a bigot by the Israeli U.N. ambassador for supporting Hamas. It goes back to this one-sided neutrality I've talked about, that uh, he is declaring a kind of moral equivalency between the terrorist and those who are defending themselves against the terrorist, between Hamas and the Israelis who are defending themselves against Hamas. And there is no moral equivalency. These are the bad guys, these Islamo-fascists, these Islamo-terrorists, and uh, we better wake up. Jimmy Carter's naive to think that he can be a broker for peace because, of course, the Israelis have a religious uh, reason for knowing that the land is theirs, and then the Muslims are not going to give up. So for Jimmy Carter to think that he can go over there and uh, broker something, he actually did more harm than good, because right as he was speaking to one of the Hamas leaders, there was actually a rocket attack uh, coming out of the um, Islamic terrorists into the Israeli territory. And so he stirred things up and uh, did this sort of contradicting the uh, prohibition by the State Department for his even going over there. And so, uh, in a sense, Dr. Johnson, I think we have to ally ourselves with Israel right now um, and make sure that they're strong. That's the best hope for any kind of peace, is to have one country over there with enough power and really enough gumption and will uh, to try to deter the terrorist attacks over there. Well, you know, uh, a lot of times I play on this program Winston Churchill saying, you know, that we'll fight and uh, so forth. And I've had a couple of ladies call me and say, you know, I like your program, but whenever you play MacArthur, Churchill, and how we've got to fight the war to the end, it doesn't seem nice. It doesn't seem Christian. I was reading today in my devotional from First Samuel 15, and uh, here's Samuel. Samuel, the prophet, the spiritual man, the man of God, 
And um, he said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. And then he said to Agag, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Now, here is Churchill. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Well, Samuel and Churchill understood the reality of evil. Islamo-terrorism, Islamo-fascism is just as evil and wicked as Nazism. It's just as dangerous. We need a commander-in-chief who will stand up against it. We need to pray for and pull for our armed forces. They are the good guys. The Islamo-terrorists are the bad guys. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll see you Monday when we'll talk to the president of the National Black Pro-Life Union. Why are more black children being aborted than white people? You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.